0: Hey, you like writing. Have you ever wanted to write a best-selling book? How about 76 best-selling books? One for each trombone. James Patterson's done it. Now he's teaching people his process in his class at masterclass.com. Learn his prolific ways through 22 video lessons in a 40-page workbook. From idea to outlining to marketing your book, learn more at masterclass.com nerdist where you also find world-class instruction from the likes of Dustin Hoffman, Serena Williams, and Annie Leibovitz. Uh, I've seen the Dustin Hoffman one, and it's really cool. And I'm not an actor, but it's absolutely fascinating. I'm going to check out the James Patterson one, too. That's masterclass.com slash nerdist. Check it out.
1: Now entering nerdist.com.
0: Here we go. Last live Nerdist Writers Panels of the Year are coming up in October and November Los Angeles, October 15th at CBS Radford Studio uh, with CBS Studio all-star showrunners, including Rob Doherty of Elementary, Aileen Brush McKenna of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, Craig Sweeney of Limitless, and our old pal Jenny Snyder-Ehrman, the showrunner of Jane the Virgin. This should be a really fun time. It's hosted at CBS, but you can get tickets. They're really cheap, only $5. Uh, Hope you can join us on October 15th if not Los Angeles, October 18th at Meltdown, celebrating Hulu's new show Casual with director Jason Reitman, uh, who, of course, directed Juno, Young Adult, some other films, Uh, our old friend Liz Tiglar, the creator of Life Unexpected, Uh, and all the folks behind Casual will also be screening episodes you have never seen before. Uh, So join us on the 18th for that, Los Angeles. And finally boston november 14th at brookline booksmith with joe hill this was rescheduled from last month Uh, we're finally going to do this Uh, joe is a terrific writer and a great guy it should be a fun conversation uh, and that benefits 826 boston all the others benefit 826 la hope you can join us for details go to writerspanel.tumblr.com writerspanel.tumblr.com that's where i'll put all of the information as well as more information and other stuff. It's the Nerdist Writers Panel, and it's hosted by Ben Blacker, where he gets a bunch of writers and he asks them lots of
2: questions, and it's starting now, so this will be the end of the
0: theme. My name is Ben Blacker. I'm the creator and moderator of the Nerdist Writers Panel. I'm also a television writer myself, having written for Supernatural, Super Ninjas, uh, DreamWorks, Puss in Boots, and currently FX's new series, Cassius and Clay. (laughs) Okay, please meet all of our panelists. Give them a round of applause, please. (laughs) Keep going. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much for being here. Starting here with Jason, please introduce yourself. Uh, tell us why we've seen your name on our television screens, and tell us what you are currently working on.
3: I am Jason Rothenberg. I created The Hundred, and uh, now thank you. Um, and I'm currently working on The Hundred, season three. <laughs>
2: Thank um, you. Jeanine?
4: I'm Janine Sherman berrois I was an executive producer on Criminal Minds. I was there for five. <laughs> I was there for five seasons. Um, before that, on ER, Third Watch. Um, I'm currently under an overall deal at Warner Brothers. And it's so developing. I'm developing. Yes. yes. Great. I'm in the trenches.
2: Cool. My name is Zev Baro. Uh, I wrote on Chuck, the Chuck television show. <laughs> Uh, that's, for, that's what it was called, right? Yeah. Chuck Colin, the Chuck Television Chuck Show. Chuck Colin, the Chuck <laughs> Television Show, the Chuck Years, uh, for the first three seasons. Well, and uh, last year I wrote on, and I wrote a, a few shows after that, and then last year I wrote on the show Forever. And uh, this year, oh, I just finished an Amazon show called Mad Dogs, and uh, I'm developing as well. Great.
5: I just got to woo a lot. Um, (laughs) Uh, Hey, I'm Gloria Calderon-Kellett, and I have been on How I Met Your Mother, Rules of Engagement, Devious Maids. I'm not going to tell you everything. you got to IMDb some of it. Uh, I was just on iZombie. I now have... Thanks. Uh, and I now have a, uh, I have a new show that I can't announce yet, but stay tuned. I
0: feel like we should just announce it.
5: Can we do that? I want to so bad!
0: By the time this comes By out, it time will be this announced. Comes out,
5: it'll be, and it's exciting.
0: Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, it's exciting. Um, all right, so here's what I want to talk about. There, uh, My brain is full right now because I have a lot of questions for you guys, so I'm just going to throw them at you. There's not going to be any rhyme or reason. Um, most, if not all of you, have uh, developed... Material and pitched material so I'm really curious and I want to start with the drama people uh, and talk about pitching uh, your style of pitching a show how you feel about pitching a show Uh, and I'm especially curious about pitching a highly serialized show because that that has been the thing this year and and the past couple of years Uh, Jason let's start with you when you pitched The 100 was it the highly serialized show that we know it to be now?
3: Yeah, I mean, I hate procedurals. No offense to procedurals, but I, uh, <laughs> I really. I'm taking them out right really, now. <laughs> I get that. I get the sort of luxury that a procedural engine gives you, mm-hmm. but at the same time, creatively, they would they just don't excite me. So, and I come from the feature side, and and so I really looked at the hundred as this is a movie. This is a big movie that we're going to tell in. At the time, we didn't know it was going to be thirteen parts in season one, but. Uh, as it turned out, it was 13 parts, and you don't really know the whole season when you when you go to pitch. You know what they want to know. Warner Brothers, especially, they've got like this ridiculously rigid pitch format they give you when you go in. I'm sure. Yes, true. Yeah. Um, and you start with a teaser, and you give them a little taste of the thing. And so I think I pitched the teaser of the pilot, which is remarkably close to what we actually did. Um, and then you go into the world and you just you talk about the world for a little while and then you talk about the characters one by one and there's like 30 of them in the hundred so I talked about the characters for quite a long time. Well that that's actually something I was really curious about because you are
0: dealing with so many characters and these pitches you tend to want to have them tight or short or something and you don't want to throw a lot of information at people so yeah. when you're pitching a
3: lot of characters how do you even grab It's grapple boring with that. as fuck. I mean you're <laughs> you're going through a list of, you know, Relatively, try to find Something interesting about each one you know. Um, But you know, there's the smart One and there's the funny one And and that's pretty much what the Executives are taking from it, so I I wouldn't Recommend spending a lot of time on character nuance In in that section of a pitch Frankly, for me, the thing that I Always sort of am listening to And listening for, and I think that they are too, is Is there a show here? Mm -hmm. You know, what's the World that can last For a little while? is the house built on a strong foundation that they can see as a series? And that's the most important section of of the pitch. And what was that for you on The 100? How did you present Uh, that? You know what? It was the youth shall inherit the earth was kind of like the tagline of the pitch. And uh, even though we've gotten away from that quite a bit in series, um, the the honest answer to that question is, I don't know. I don't remember what my pitch was. I just know that it was successful. We sold the thing. Um, And then, you know, it was... All about writing the good pilot script sure, You know
0: sure. Alright and we'll pick that up in a minute uh, Janine tell us about your experiences.
3: Um
4: I'm at Warner Brothers too And so Warner Brothers does have a rigid sort of format What they've <laughs> what they've tended to find Is that When people just kind of riff in a pitch They go off for so long That the buyer doesn't know What the hell the story was hmm. So Warner Brothers sort of makes you do it um, In a structured way They almost make you read this document wow to get it exactly the way...
3: You could ask her about the 100 pitch pages. I actually pages just something. read his pitch
4: pages. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, his pitch pages are awesome. And it's very clear on what the show is. Um, I think you. the object is, how can you get it down to eight pages, make it really sharp pitch, so that you're in and out of the room? Because when you go to... The, I, I'm doing a serialized project two of them and when you go to a network they're hearing 10 pitches a day yeah. and so if you start wandering with characters or you're wandering with nuance if you're wandering with um, story or stuff that has nothing to do with selling is there 150 episodes in this they won't buy it mm-hmm. so that's why if you if you are a writer in the room and you want to pitch a show make sure you hit the points mm-hmm.
0: so on, for example on, on the serialized uh, shows that you're pitching obviously you're, you're pitching pieces of the pilot you're pitching the characters do you have to also say here's what Twelve episodes looks like no. here's what two years looks like.
4: No, you have right now what you have to do is you have to pitch the pilot and then where it jumps off and sort of give them a promise of the first season, an overarching like story of the first season, and then what jumps you on to the second season. If you're bold, you wanna say this is what's gonna happen for the third season, just in broad strokes. You wanna give them enough for them to say, Hey, there's a show. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, that makes sense. But, but if you, at Netflix and other places, you might have to give more. For the major networks, you just have to sort of say season two and three. Hmm.
0: That's interesting.
4: Yeah.
0: Um, that little
4: thing.
2: <laughs> Zev, what has been your pitching experience? Well, I've pitched more to cable than network, although I did do the Warner Brothers process, <laughs> <laughs> which Everybody I found what it is. Uh, trying. <laughs> Um, but, yeah, they have a pretty distinct process, and we sold it, so, you know, I guess I can't knock the process too much, but my sense... My, I found kind of constrained by the Warner Brothers, like, color by numbers pitch process. Um, then again, we did sell it, so it's fine.
4: <laughs> let me, let me ask you this. Color money,
2: he sold it. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Yeah. Um,
0: how do you prefer to pitch and then how was this the, well, the strictures is different
2: You know you're like you're telling a story I think for people want to know I think people want to know like what is this show about why should it exist you know what i mean like that's the biggest question like what is this show and why and that can be a character that can have a, a story or just kind of thematic it's just like why should there's so much stuff out there like what makes this worth existing or, you know, going down the path toward possible existence, (laughs) but probably still won't exist. Uh, What what is it like that's currently on the air that's a hit? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But how is it different? (laughs) Yeah, it's like the graduate meets. um, And uh, anyway, and so, uh, you know, I like to, you know, you kind of say what the idea is and what the jumping, you, you basically do the same things you do. In the Warner Brothers kind of template, but you're doing it your own way, and it's probably a little more organic. And that, but I would say that, in my experience, and even at cable, even at places like Amazon and Netflix and HBO and what have you, they're much less likely to ask you tell me the first plot season. Like, give me what the pilot is, give me what the characters are, and give me what the show is about. Like, what is this show about? And you can be pretty vague on a plot for season one and beyond. Like, they understand that that's going to come out of... Like, anything you would say would be bullshit anyway because it's like, there's... You could have it all lined up to the T, but then you'd get in a room with people and you'd get notes and, like, it would all be an evolution and they know that and that's the way it is. So, like, I think there, if you can hit them with just a couple, like, this is where it could go, great. But it's more like, look, this is the canvas. This is the maze. It could be really cool. The characters fit this. This is what I want to write about thematically. Um, you know, that's the, that, that seems to me, e- even at network or, you know, this, uh, the, the couple network things I've done, have had procedural elements to them. And it's like, as long as they understand what that engine is and where the characters are going, it's really like, who who are these characters? What is this world? And the other stuff, to me, is secondary. I mean, on a show like yours, that's super um, serialized. I'm sure it would be quite different. But from, from what I do, it's, it's never that plot-based, so it's not that, not that big a deal. Yeah. That makes
0: sense. Uh, and Gloria, I wanted to talk about Pitching comedy.
5: Yes,
2: that's what you've done most
0: recently. Yes, um, which is sort of a whole. It, it's like the flipside. I've side never of heard this. of this
5: Warner Brothers thing. This is totally news <laughs> to me. This is news God. to me. <laughs>
0: But it, it seems like it
3: wouldn't work for comedy pitches, because yeah, comedy about, pitches are more about... I, I, I do not like it.
5: <laughs> no, yeah. It
3: gives you a format, which is important to No, that of, sounds helpful. You're not just helpful. lost. It's a roadmap. You know, yeah. you fill in the yeah. journey that, yourself. That
5: sounds super helpful. I kind of want to see it now, just to see what... The, don't you guys want to just know what that is, right? <laughs> that should be available on the interwebs. We'll see what we can for do. Uh, us. To have it in- uh No, com- comedy is just... Is characters. It's just like, do can we sell that you want to hang out with these people every week? What is their point of view on the world that makes them somebody you want to mm-hmm. hear from every week? That's really what you're pitching.
0: But also, how do you set it apart from other comedies that exist? And yet, how does it resemble other comedies right. that exist? Right. I mean,
5: I would say for pitching style, which I would love to hear what everybody's sort of pitching style is. But uh, for me, it's like I feel like everyone has their superpower. And I feel like for me, I'm not the person that comes in with like, here's a PowerPoint presentation. And that's not my jam. My jam is, I am your friend and we have beers. And that's how I pitch. I pitch like, we're at a bar and I'm telling you some really hilarious stories. Mm -hmm. And this, oh my God, my friend, this person does this crazy thing, funny story. And then my other friend does this crazy, funny story. And then all of them live together and hilarity ensues. You know what I mean? Like that's... (laughs) that's what it is that's what it is you're just telling funny stories a lot of times they're personal so you're actually telling stories about your
2: life and then I have to say I always make up a personal I lie all the time in pictures because they so love that where they're like and I'm always like oh and I had an uncle that used to jump out of planes and rob banks so I should probably tell you that I always do some shit like that.
5: My dad was a serial killer, so um, no, I have you, a you lot have of experience. To lie oh, you yeah, have to. Just, it's a fucking story.
2: That's You're like, what, yeah. <laughs> that's what they're hiring yeah. you to do, lie. That's why I'm connected to this. Yeah. Exactly.
4: Sure,
0: there is that. But, but for example, on this new show that we can't talk about, yeah. there is a connection for you. Yes. Um what <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I want to talk around it a little bit. Talk
5: around it. Go ahead. Like, you can talk around how,
0: it. How how long was the pitch and you're pitching it with other people too cuz yes. you have co co-creators on it. Yes. So like <laughs> how did you make it about you about them about well, everyone but also very specific? When
5: I initially met with the um Comedy icon uh, that that uh, that this is uh, that I'm working with. Um, I just to- I just told stories about my personal life. I am Hispanic. What? Yeah, I know you guys. For the listener, For the I know because I sound a little bit like a valley girl. Um, but uh, I am a Latina, so there you go. Okay. Yo puedo hablar español. Okay. Uh, so uh, this was, uh, I really w- was very passionate for many years about doing a, a Hispanic show. I was on Devious Maids, which I was so happy to be on because it was the first time there were five Hispanic leads on television. And so that was really groundbreaking. They're maids. <laughs> I was like, you know, know what, what you are going to do. Yeah, but we were like, we'll, okay, we'll take it. It's something. You know what I mean? Like, you're like, okay, it's fine. That's still a big deal. T-
0: it was also the first time Five Maids had been on television. It's so true. It was
5: kind of a big deal. It's true.
0: <laughs> kind of a big deal.
5: It's true. Uh, so, yeah, this is like I wanted something a little more. Gra- I mean, that's obviously fun, you know, soap, Mark Cherry uh, world, so you have fun with that. But. I want to do something a little bit more about my life and you know a lot of network executives are very fascinated by the Latino market because it's a very big market and they're like what is it like having dinner at a Latino's house (laughs) tell us your exotic stories (laughs) and it's like well we use plates (laughs) and then we take these things called forks and then we put food in our (laughs) mouth Not always enchiladas (laughs) Um so yeah I think that people Just want I think network Executives are are very excited By my uh, story Which is pretty normal to me But yeah there's stuff that's specific to My life that is unusual to You know I'm married to a A a non-Hispanic Man I've never like called my husband a white Man (laughs) but I guess We're interracial (laughs) Um but, you know, my family's, like, at my house every day. I mean, there's stuff that's very, you know, mm-hmm. that I notice that it's not, does not happen in other people's houses. Well, so. And
0: it's specific to your life, and that's exactly. the stuff that people latch exactly. on to. But you've sort of grafted it onto this other,
5: other thing. thing. Yeah.
0: Sorry, guys. Yeah. Uh, let's leave this area. <laughs> before deadline. all I want to do is talk about I know deadline's going to come after us um, I want to talk this is a, a sort of a, a hard left turn, but I want to talk about um, the moment of breaking in to the business, which obviously it 's hard to get to that point, but what i 'm really curious about um, is a safety net, and did you give yourself one like what was the first thing you got paid for, and was that the beginning of getting paid for doing this as a living, or did you do Two things for a while. What was that process like? Jason, let's start with you.
3: Um, Well, I moved out to L.A. after college and did the typical sort of like assistant job thing. I was a P.A. on a couple kind of low-budget movies. And then I said, I actually had a funny experience on the movie that I was a P.A. on, which was the script sucked. It's terrible. And there there was a tech read-through. It was my first day. I had an idea for how, to make, it, how to, to make it better, basically how to end the movie. And I raised my hand <laughs> during this read-through, and the person who got me the job was the second AD, and she like, looked at me in horror and <laughs> threw my hand down and told me afterwards that if I really needed to get this point across, I should talk to the writer. So after the tech read-through... I pulled the writer aside, who happened to be married to the director. I'm not going to mention any names. Um, and I pitched her my idea for the ending. And she looked at me like, go get me a fucking Coke. Literally, that was her attitude towards me, which was kind of shitty. And then two weeks later, I walked on the set, and they were shooting the ending that I had pitched her. And she never gave me like a second thought or a look or a thank you or anything. It was really eye-opening. On the one hand, it was an awful thing for her to do, obviously. But on the other hand, it was like, afterwards I said, screw this. I'm a better writer than this woman who just got this movie made. I'm going to go write my own movie. And I wrote a script in like a month and got an agent and eventually, you know, the career happened. So you look at things like that and now I have this sort of attitude where the idea can come from anywhere. You can talk to my staff, many of whom are here tonight. I mean, literally everybody from the PA to the co-EP is able to come to me at any time And give me an idea and I'll change it I'll, I'll change things from Monday to Tuesday To Wednesday depending on whether You know a good idea comes in the door It doesn't have to be for me so Sometimes it drives them crazy <laughs> Yeah that sounds I can, horrible I can uh, <laughs> But I always try to land on the right idea So it's right, sort of absolutely. like a divining rod You know um, anyway. did you, Let me just back up for one sec Did you come out here with the intention to write movies I did. I came out to be a feature writer. i never even read a movie before I got out here, but I came out thinking oh, crazily that that's what I was going to do. <laughs> I, I looked at a book. It was that thick. I looked at a script. It was that thick. I said, eh, scripts are the way to go. Sort of. <laughs> Little did I know that it was going to take 15 years or 10 years before I started. I sold my first script uh, as a feature at this period when they were selling like million-dollar specs mm-hmm. for selling every couple weeks, and I was lucky enough to sell one in wow. that uh, and how long
0: had you been at it kind of doing this PA work or any other kind of work before um,
3: that? I, I was a PA for about for that one movie. I never, By the way, I, I said to myself after that experience, I wasn't going to be back on a film set or a TV set until it was my set, until wow. it was my thing. It took 15 years, but I was not on another set for 15 years. And, wow. and it became this process where I was working a lot in features because I sold a lot of things for... A lot of money, but nothing was getting made Nothing, like I was over for 30 In features, and I finally And these are like big adaptation High level studio assignments um, And then I finally said You know, I have to figure This out, I, I didn't come out here to write Scripts and entertain like the five Executives who were reading the projects and so I wrote a pilot, and that pilot got shot. It was called The Body Politic mm-hmm. um, about five or six years ago. And then I wrote another that didn't get shot, and another that didn't get shot, and then The 100
0: happened. So, oh, wow. yeah. so it seems like it was sort of a conscious decision to move into TV after it was. working in features for so long.
3: Yeah, I mean, it was a combination of when I got that pilot made, it was addictive. It was suddenly the director was looking at me and saying, because I'd been fired by... Some of the best directors in Hollywood. <laughs> Seriously, I was fired by Ron Howard twice. Okay? On the same film? On the film. same movie. <laughs> it was actually Will Smith's fault, not Ron Howard's fault, but that's another story. Um, I would like to hear that story. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Take a break. <laughs> really? Okay. Yeah. So it was called Colossus, and it was an adaptation of the book. There was a movie called Colossus in the 70s. Anybody ever hear of the- Colossus, the Forbin Project. It's a cult classic. It's a great movie. And we were adapting it. I worked with Ron pretty closely. I actually love Ron. I have nothing bad to say about Ron. And about a year into developing it, um, Will Smith attached a star. And this was obviously like the best news I'd ever gotten in my life. It was suddenly this movie was going to happen, for sure. You know, Will, in a sci-fi movie that sucks, grosses $600 million. (laughs) Right? So... None. I'm not. I'm not saying his movies suck, but if they did, they would gross a lot of money. <laughs> at least that at that time. Anyway, so we, we worked on it together, and I had about two months where I was driving out to Calabasas to Will Smith's house, and I was sitting in a in in his like dining room, and his chef was sort of taking our order. It was Ron Howard, Will Smith, and me. And I had no business being in that room. Like it, was, it was incredibly cool and entertaining, and after a few minutes, it was like just three guys shooting a shit and it was, it was actually awesome. but anyway, so I developed it with him for about a month or two, and then I did my draft, I worked with him for about a month or two, and then I did my draft, and he didn't like it, and he brought a guy fired me, brought a guy in to work on it. I was upset. I went off to do other things I, wrote, I think I wrote the hundred in the in the intervening time period. And then Will dropped off the movie and Ron called me and said, come back, you have to come back, you have to bring back to this project what we loved about it in the first place. And I said, okay, of course I will. This is my baby, I love this project, and anyway, so I come back and I do another draft and I bring it back to what they were all excited about and they were going to make the movie again and I got a call that Will Smith was on his way to the studio to talk about doing Colossus again and I was like I said to them, the person who called me, I said, there's no way you're going to fall for the right. fool's gold again. <laughs> Not that he's fool's gold, but yeah, he kind of is. And so anyway, uh, what happened was they said, no, th- don't. you have nothing to worry about. We know we're only here because of you. You got us back to this place. We love what you've done. Ron totally loves what you've done. 45 minutes later, I get a call. That I'm fired again. So, because because he wanted to bring in his his right. guy. And by the way, this was I, when I got this call. I was tech scouting the hundred in Vancouver. So I was like, "Fuck, I don't care. I, I'm I'm making my show right it's now. Happy ending. Go with God." But and by the way, that movie has not been made. Right. So, this
0: this may be the second or third time I've heard on these panels this story about
3: Will Smith. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Go go check the old uh, episodes. A now, to be politically correct go. for a second, mm-hmm. I love him. he is, I don't love him, I don't, I don't love him, but he's brilliant, he is brilliant, and in the room he's brilliant, and he comes up with great ideas, but he also doesn't know what he wants to do, right. so he's like, you know, you're there trying to be a catcher of, like, the fastballs that are coming in, and lots of times they're hitting the bull, you know what I mean, yeah. they're, like, sailing wide, and those are the ones that sometimes you get stuck being forced to write and i wouldn 't do that, and that 's why I got fired
0: so. uh, and I just want to ask you one more question before we move on, just about um, in the intervening years while you were
3: trying to make a living at this, what kind of jobs were you doing? How were you paying your rent well i was I was actually always making a living i mean at I, I, one I, you mean before I sold the script for yeah. a lot of money um, I was doing like, I I'd, I'd wrote a martial arts movie for $8,000, and then I wrote another movie for, like, eight or $10,000, none of which got made. Right. But I was able to sort of string it together. Um, and then this, you know, payday happened, and that kind of, like, that was the best and the worst thing that happened. Because I, I all of a sudden had money. I had no idea how to play with that. But, and I spent it all, and I paid my friends back, and, like, I was broke after two years. But uh, it was fun two years. <laughs> Good answer uh, Janine, sort of the same question
0: about your origin story How did you start to find footing? How did
4: I like, get my powers? Yeah,
0: how did you get your powers? What um, bit you? Um, how <laughs> did you start to find footing? And what was the first piece of writing you got paid for?
4: I, My first piece of writing was on um, Jamie Foxx I, I was in half hour I was in comedy I wrote on Jamie Foxx And I wrote on the PJs And I... Came out here like everybody, sort of wanting to write, and knew that I needed a job. I started peeing on stuff. I worked for Eric Gold and Jimmy Miller. I worked for Judd Apatow. I got fired from Judd Apatow. I like, I worked for the Wayans. ins I did everything that I could possibly do to just make a living, and then at night I would write. Um, and what
0: kind of stuff were you writing at the time? Because this sounds like uh, the time when we would write specs of existing it, shows. Yeah,
4: I, I wrote specs of exist, existing stuff. I mean, it, it, this was a while ago. I mean, this was like Friends and mm-hmm. Mad About You. You wrote all that sort of stuff. And and you didn't write spec pilots at the time. Right. You just wrote, copied someone else's stuff. Um And in the process of doing that, I was working on a movie that Damon and Adam Sandler were doing, and Adam's producer said, I'll hook you up with an agent. I will make a call for you, because he saw me, like, you know, busting my ass trying to get a show. I mean, get on a show. Had he read you? Um, he, he had heard me and he had, he had probably read one thing and he said, clearly, if you turn me on to an agent and the agent doesn't like it, you did your solid, but you lost nothing. Um, and while that was happening, I got into the Warner brothers comedy program and from the comedy program, that's how I got sorry, I got on a show called Lush Life, and then that was with Lori Petty. That got canceled. That? Yeah, I it was a it was a show with Lori Petty and Karen Parsons. It was on Fox for about six episodes. And then I got onto um, Jamie Foxx, then I went on to the PJs. And when I was on the PJs writing for Clay people, I was like, fuck this shit. We're here till four. <laughs> We're here till four in the morning writing for clay people. I wanna write about li- like life and death. <laughs> And so I had this sort of, like, I called my agent, Richard Weitz, and I said, Richard, listen, I want to write in drama. Like, I was on the Warner Brothers lot, and I saw the ER people, I saw all the big shows being done, and I knew I wanted to write drama. And I started writing samples that would get the attention of John Wells. Hmm. I, like, set my eye on John Wells.
0: <laughs> How, and ev- what kind of stuff were you writing?
4: I wrote movies. Like, I, I wrote a bunch of movies, that, some that were good, some that weren't. And they were dramas. And some were cop stuff. Some were, you know, um, um, dramas about women. Like, whatever, po- political things. I wrote whatever I could do. And eventually, a sample got t- to the attention of the head of John Wells' company, And then it got to John, and I got hired on Third Watch. Um, And I was on Third Watch, and then I was on ER, and I kind of got mentored under Wells for nine seasons, which is sort of unheard of. Yeah. And and that's when I started to sort of, you know, make money and, and was doing it for a living and not worried. Like, in comedy, you're sort of worried when you're on a show that, for me, like, Prior to the Wells experience, when I was on shows that got canceled after five, then you're worried about how are you going to get money for the rest. Absolutely. And that's most people's life in the business.
0: I you, think that's an important thing to underline.
4: Yeah. I mean, like, my, my best friend and I started at the same time. She's been on 15 shows. Wow. I've been on three dramas. Like, I honestly, Third Watch, ER, Criminal Minds. But those amount of years have been almost 13 years. Yeah. On, on that She's been on 15 She knows everybody in town And she goes on stuff Most stuff gets cancelled After four episodes And then whatever she saves She has to live off of For the rest of the year While she respects. Mm-hmm. So th- that's the hard part Like the hard part Is getting somewhere Where you can stick So that you can get The attention of the executives So that when you develop They actually want to hear you Because they either want to hear you Because you've been on a show Or you're coming from the movies Like mm-hmm. business Yeah
0: um, i'm just I just want to ask a quick question i 'm going to open this question up later so you know we can revisit it um, but what were the comedy rooms you were in like, and how were those different from like the Wells room, which we've heard a little bit about in the past
4: um i mean the one of the greatest rooms I was in was in the PJs, which was sort of like the Harvard Lampoon. It was run by Larry Wilmore and by Steve Tompkins. Um, it was great. I mean, it was probably 15 people, but when I was in, 15 people pitching jokes all day, all day. And I would literally go to the bathroom and have panic attacks like, God, please give me a fucking joke. <laughs> um, but they had, and now na- there are people that are so funny, they should be at the Laugh Factory. Mm-hmm but they have not made it at the Laugh Factory so that they're sublimating that desire by being comedy writers. And you, as a normal human being, up against them <laughs> daily is a, a very good prescription for a Prozac. You know what I mean? So, so um, those were tough. When you go to a drama on a Wells show specifically um, and and we ran Criminal Minds the same way. You're in a room three times a week. Sometimes you're in it five times a week. But there is not a pressure to pitch jokes. You're pitching story. You're pitching content. And the sort of heart palpitations of joke, 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 joke mm-hmm. is removed. But I guess if you are a comedy person and you go in a drama room with John Wells and you don't know how to pitch story or, or conflict, mm-hmm. you might have heart palpitations. It's just You just gotta kind of find your people. Mm-hmm.
0: It's interesting that you went down the comedy path first, though. I mean, was that the original intention? Is that why you came here?
4: I, I, I came here because I thought I wanted to write movies. But then I started working for people that were in comedy, and I said, "Oh my god!" I didn't even understand you could write television for a living and make a living. Like, <laughs> I didn't under, like I didn't. Under, I knew who Norman Lear was. Like I knew there were these famous names, but I didn't know that there were staffs of people. Like 12 writers that sit in a room that get paid all day and they wear jeans and sneakers and t-shirts. <laughs> like I, didn't, I didn't even understand that. And so once I saw it and I saw you know, Judd and all these other people on these shows, I was like, holy shit, I can do that while I'm trying to get my feature career going. And then once you get bitten by the bug of television, you realize... Here on TV, you make a movie every eight days, and it's so satisfying because it actually gets done. Mm-hmm. Like you see it, like you can say, "Hey, mom and dad, turn on the TV. My shit's on." Whereas, <laughs> whereas when you write movies, yeah. it's hard. It might never happen. Absolutely.
3: Yeah. I kind of wish it would slow down a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> exactly.
4: Exactly.
0: Um, all right, Zev, I want to talk to you about the same uh, breaking-in experience. I feel like I, I saw your name a lot before I knew you as a TV writer.
2: Yeah, is I, that uh, true? Like as a story writer and stuff like that? No, I I uh, I never thought I didn't like want to write for TV or I, or live in Los Angeles or uh, <laughs> I still really don't want to live in Los Angeles. And uh, I was I was a magazine writer and I yeah. uh, started this magazine with Dave Eggers when we were young in San Francisco called Might, and then we did this magazine called McSweeney's together. And then that led to, like, I was writing for The New Yorker and Rolling Stone and New York Magazine and just doing a lot of magazine journalism and going on tour with rock bands, and it was fun. It was like a blast. Uh, And doing that in New York, and that's really what I thought I wanted to do. I grew up um, wanting to be, like, a magazine writer and and do all of that. I worshipped uh, all of that kind of print journalism in the 60s and the 70s, and I dug all of it. And I loved it, and it was great, and it was a fun... Fun life, but I had all these um, friends in California, and increasingly, my journalism was becoming like less about the people I was writing about and more about me uh, and It just became like the Zev show and the article all the time and, and people were like, you should if you want to write that way, if you want to write with that kind of voice, y- you should maybe think about scripts and I, you know I loved movies and TV but I'm not like a very visual person and uh you know I don't know I I didn't really think of it but I started to get a little the magazines started to get like a little kind of celebby, like you had to do all this kind of celebrity journalism, which I hated, or it was really hard to just do cool stuff. But and, I mean, it, let me just interrupt for a second.
0: Mm-hmm. It, it's interesting that, like, with Might and McSweeney's, mm-hmm. you guys, it seemed from the outside you were making magazines that you wanted to make, oh, yeah. telling stories that you wanted to tell. Well, th-
2: that was like being in a band, those magazines, because <laughs> we made no money and they were cool and we loved it and it was like, it was great. But then we started to need to make dough. We moved to New York and started writing for big magazines which was a thrill like I was my all I ever wanted growing up is to write for the New Yorker and I was starting I was writing for the New Yorker when I was like 23, 24 years old and I loved it but it's such an institution and it's really it's just it's hard to navigate and that whole world is just um, you know it was fun it was great and then increasingly though this other world it, just in terms of the writing to be able to make stuff up as much as possible what was what was translatable for you from the kind of prose writing you were doing? I think it was just tone. It was voice, it, and um, the initial stuff I wrote was comedic, or you know, I did a lot of shouts and murmurs for the New Yorker, which are these humor pieces, and that translated. And then my first script was like. You know, I could do a thing... Like, you were saying the way you pitched. I used to approach magazine stuff. was like, you could send me to do something, and I could come back to a room of people and tell you the story of what I did, and it would be sort of entertaining, hopefully. And that's the way... You know, I'd had these kind of... These experiences. And so when I first came out to L.A. to say I wanted to do that, those really played. Like, I wasn't right out of school. I'd never been an assistant. I never wrote a spec on another, like based on another show. Um, I just was like, I think I can do, tell this kind of story or have this kind of voice and sold something, got an agent and started that way. And I was living in New York still and then Kevin Riley was the head of uh, NBC at the time, and he was a big supporter. And he was like, you know, dude, like if you really want to do this, you're actually going to have to like learn how to do this. <laughs> Meaning, you're going to have to it, it, like you're going to have to go work on a show. And he was completely right because you can write all the specs in the world, and like that's one thing. And then you get on a show, and it's totally, totally different. And I said, okay, I'll I'll move to LA, which was always like a giant thing for me. And uh, and Chuck was just like an interesting hybrid of a show. And I met Josh Schwartz and I met Matt Miller, who's a friend of ours. And it was, uh, it, was it just seemed the right show, so I did it. But I had a hugely, I was miserable for like <laughs> the first season and I just thought I made a terrible mistake. I didn't understand the format. I thought it was like, I thought it was so goofy. And, like, I couldn't under... And my scripts were getting, like, eviscerated. (laughs) And I was, like, I... I, The whole thing was brutal, and... Matt and Josh and all these people I worked for were so supportive and they were like you're great in the room and I was like I don't even know what that means like you know what I mean like how I couldn't understand if you handed in a piece of writing that was being responded to the way my pieces of writing were being how that was not fireable like it seemed to be getting F's to me <laughs> and they were like so complimentary and it was just I didn't understand it and I was miserable and it was hot here and I never would have not worry like get my dry clean that- that's Not- probably
3: why Matt liked you so much,
2: because you were more miserable than he was. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm definitely more miserable than Matt. Um, and uh, let, let me just ask uh,
0: this uh, before we get too far away from it. Writing in a room is very different from the kind of solitary uh, magazine or even spec writing that you had been doing. How did you adjust to that? And, and I mean, clearly they liked what you were doing.
2: So what were you doing? I, I, you know, I don't know. I think they liked I- ideas and they liked voice. But what you realize is, especially when you're a staff writer... You're, you're beginning a process. You have so much help and you're not required to put it kind of all on your shoulders and really kind of like write the script in the way you would a spec script. And and a lot of people are there to ha- help you and to take what you can give something and, and kind of fashion it along. And But I didn't really understand that. And I didn't also understand... That what I viewed as Not being good at it was just The process was just people Like right but I Want it a little this way or that way or whatever Or right of course the creator Of the show is going to kind of want to Give it his voice to it too And I just took every I just had never been through a process Where you weren't getting I just thought well you're changing Everything you know like how good could it be Um Yeah, obviously, and it sucked. So, (laughs) yeah, there you go. Has it become
0: easier for you? You've been on a few staffs now. Yeah,
2: (laughs) no, it's become a little. It's uh, I know. Listen, everybody who's a writer knows it's like it's never not personal. It's never easy to take a note. It's never. I mean, I I don't know. Most writers, I think, are that way. That said, you do become. You do understand the process more, and so in that sense, it, it does become easier. In one way, and I don't know, I mean, does it become easier to get notes? No. (laughs) Uh, Let's hear about it from any of you.
4: No, I I don't think it becomes, I I think it's just part of the process. You know people are going to weigh in and you've got to figure out how to navigate the notes or do the notes or see what's behind the note Mm -hmm. and try to execute what you can. But it is, I think we're all sort of, every time you write, it's like being naked in fluorescent lights. It's like, it's not, it's not fun, you know?
2: You know, the one thing I will say is when people you work for, when people you work for kind of tell you they really like they they respond to your stuff and they appreciate you and and they're sort of like, look, I, I'm saying all of this stuff because I like your work, not because I don't like your work. That's really hugely helpful. And Matt did that a lot for me on on Chuck. And I think going forward, you know, now being in a at a level where you're talking with younger writers you're, You sort of want to say When it's true It's not always true, but when it's true It's like, you're good, I like you I like your work, this is all about What I like about you, not what I don't like About you and your work
0: Interesting, um, Gloria, before we are off the subject Yes Tell us about uh, breaking in You know Yes. What, what you were doing and what you intended to do And so, uh, if it yeah. was matched up
5: I was, so I started as an actor I know <laughs> uh, And uh, when I was a senior in college uh, There was a playwrights festival And I was just sort of moved to write something And writing that first play Was the most exhilarating thing I had ever done And of course I was graduating a few months later So I thought, oh I've wasted my life <laughs> You know, I'm 22, and I've wasted my life. So I quickly uh, applied to grad school, and I went to University of London for grad school, Goldsmiths College. Excellent, wonderful time. Worked at, like, the Royal Court. It was an insane, amazing experience. And when I was there, I wrote a bunch of plays and won a bunch of writing awards that made me feel like, oh, accolades. I'm I'm not fooling myself. Mm -hmm. So when I came back to Los Angeles, it was like... Oh, a playwright in LA Like, nobody cares No one cares uh, So I had put out there, like, hey guys, I'm working at Houston Century City doesn't exist anymore It's a real bummer This was back when Houston's was in Century City Is it a real uh, bummer? Yeah, I loved that food Don't even talk shit about that food, Ben That spinach artichoke dip is no joke
0: You're right, you're right
5: So good so, uh, so yeah, I just sort of put it out there. I put it out there like, hey, everybody, I don't know anyone in the entertainment industry, but I want to be a writer, so I'm going to be at Houston's and, like, just writing, I guess. So I was writing plays and, um, and auditioning as well. And every audition I went on, this is, like, 11 years ago now, 12 years ago. It was right before it was awesome to be Latino. Now it's awesome. <laughs> Then it was, like, right before it was awesome. And so every audition, no joke, was like, Chewie, put the gun down. Don't kill Paco. I mean, for real. For real, for real. And it was like I would chola it up and do my chola makeup and go in there. And I was like, certainly there must be some young lawyer that I'm an audition. No, no young lawyer. Just another gangmaker. Okay. Uh, So I thought, well, I'll just start writing my voice stuff and I'll start I'll keep keep that going and I'm doing this playwriting thing and I'll write a bunch of monologues and so I put up a monologue show in Hollywood and that monologue show is every job I've ever gotten was because I put up that show yeah
0: what Tell us about the writing of that and the content of that and then sort of what
1: it led to.
5: Yes. So I was also trying stand-up because I was just like, I'm going to try everything. Um, and so I was doing stand-up. And as a sta- I was not a good stand-up. But I would tell, like, funny stories. And I thought, oh, that's really I'm a monologue writer. Like, there's funny elements, but... So everyone at the time, too, like, when a girl goes out to do stand-up, it was like, let's see what she's got. You know, all the guys would stand in the back. So I was like, I'm going to do 15 monologues about women, and they're all going to be funny, and the girls are going to be, like, babes, and we're going to get all shapes and sizes and ethnicities, and it's going to be awesome. And uh, I went to every charity in town that I loved, and I gave them 10 free tickets to opening night for any of their volunteers. And the first two and then gave tickets to the, the actors. And the first two nights were sold out for free tickets. Like we weren't <laughs> making any money. And then the rest of the show, we had a line around the block. Wow, wow. wow. because people just word yeah. of mouth, and that's my, age, my agent came to that show. my manager came to that show. That's how I got representation. Interesting. Everything happened because of that. And then shortly thereafter, I got a phone call from somebody I went to Loyola with. Um, Chris Anata, who was like, "Hey, are you still looking for an assistant thing?" I saw your play. I thought you I think you're really funny. That you're really talented. And, and I was like, "Yeah." And he's like, give me your resume and fax it to this address." <laughs> it was all very, yeah, fax, yeah, right. So I did, and it ended up being Cameron Crowe. So I worked at my first industry job was like second assistant to Cameron Crowe, like answering phones and picking up packages for post production of Vanilla Sky. uh, Were you
0: writing in this time?
5: I was, that's what they wanted Because it was such a tedious, it was like a nothing job Mm Because he had a first assistant He's the most chill, laid back human ever So he didn't really need anything of me Except for, you know, we had a PA to even do runs So uh, he wanted us He wanted somebody who was a writer So I spent a year and a half like Writing and then finally was like So I think I want to do this TV thing And he's like, you should write a spec And I said, what's a spec? Like I didn't know anything And I wrote a Sex in the City spec. And. What was it about? Um, it was what's funny is two years later they did an episode very similar. It, it was happens. about a and She dates like a man child, basically. Mm-hmm. And then she ended up. You guys remember that episode? Mm-hmm. I think mine was pretty good. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so when I was working for Hamron, um I was putting up the show. And then I got the agent manager, and then um, I got an offer to do uh, to be a writer's assistant. So I left Cameron, which is very... The other thing that's so hard is you'll get these good jobs. You'll get these, like, plum jobs that you have to leave sometimes. And it's so hard. It's so hard to leave, like, a great situation. And I sat down with him, and I was like, hey, I think I got to go do this thing. And he like, go do it. So supportive. And I was a writer's assistant for six episodes of The Ortegas for NBC that never aired. And um, and then my agent manager started sending me out on all these – I had never been on a TV show on a staff, never been on a staff, sending me on a bunch of pitch meetings to pitch at HBO and pitch because people wanted wow. to take characters from my play and adapt them to TV. So I went – my first pitch was at HBO, and I walked in thinking, well, they saw the play, so I'm going to pitch characters from the play. And I started talking about the characters, and I could see on the, the executives' faces like – Oh, isn't it? She's so, oh, she doesn't know what she's doing. It's so cute. And it was like a thorn in my belly. And I walked out of there. I'm like, I will never, until I get on a staff, I will never pitch a television show again. I know some people can do that. It is not for me. I need to be on a staff. So I need to, I also would like to sit down with any showrunner who will sit down with me so I can just bend their ear. And so they kindly, they found this man, Mark Reisman who was a writer on Frasier and friends, I think, with my manager. And I had coffee with him, and I asked him, like, a million questions. And two months later, he got a show picked up, and he hired me as staff writer. That's amazing. (laughs) And that was my first job. Yeah.
0: Just, you know, a nuts and boltsy kind of question. How did – we heard about how Gloria got her representation. How did the rest of you get representation?
3: I wrote a – right after the PA experience, the first script that I wrote, I applied to UCLA Extension, and I got into, like, a rewriting class – taught by a woman who at the end of the class set asked if she could be my manager. And I didn't know anybody, so I said, sure. And she got me an agent. Okay. So, yeah.
4: I, I sent scripts out blindly. People say, don't do that. And agents called. And then I also had other referrals of friends who said, oh, I was in writing groups. Writing groups were really big. And um, friends that were on shows referred their agent or junior agent. And then eventually I got an agent. I mean, I think I think if you do it and you continuously do it, the doors will open. Mm-hmm. I think that's what happens here.
2: Yeah, I think I think yeah. that's good advice. Yeah. So I, p- I wrote a, a script about a magazine writer because that's what I was, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then and and it, a production company, uh, some production companies wanted to do it, and they like they were one was affiliated with CAA, one was affiliated mm-hmm. with um, Endeavor at the time. And so, like, they kind of set up meetings for you that way, and okay. you just, I just chose someone. And so, yeah,
0: if someone responded to the script and to you. Yeah. And I think
2: it was like, oh, because these production companies wanted to do it, they were like... Well, not, I don't think they give a fuck if you're good or not. I think that, like... <laughs> They just were like, oh, okay, I'm working with them, they're working with you. All right. Yeah, That makes sense.
0: Um, I want to ask you guys, We, we uh, Janine touched on this a little bit, but I want to hear from all of you. Some of you have been in great rooms, some of you have been in not great rooms, some of you have run rooms, good or bad. Um, I'm curious to hear about for those of you who have been in rooms first, so take a break, Jason. Um, what What is the good stuff? What is the stuff you have seen that either a showrunner brings to a room that you would emulate when writing your own? Along the same lines, what is your job as someone who is not the showrunner in the room?
5: I'll go first. Hit this it. took me a long time to realize. Your job on a staff, I think now... I think your job is to try to copy your boss mm-hmm. Your job is to try to be your boss So I think for the longest time I thought, they're hiring me So they want me that My version of their show They don't give a shit about my version of their show They want their show And they want me to write their show And how well can I execute Get into my boss's head Try to write like he, him or her and, uh, and does that show up on the page So that I can get it 60% of the way there Or sometimes people say 40 like for me as a showrunner I would love it if it was like 60% there that'd be amazing or 75 or 100 it's close to 100 as possible so that by the time it gets to me cuz I can't write every episode, or they can't write every episode they just do their judging to it and it's done that's i think the job really yeah that makes sense which is why original pilot specs is a weird thing i think to read i think it sh- you should read a spec of a existing tv show as well right. Because it only shows what their voice is, it doesn't show that they can emulate anyone else's voice. I think. Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, What about rooms and room behavior? Uh, You know, again, you've been in comedy rooms, you've been in drama rooms.
5: rooms. Uh, I I think you and you're about to run a show. Is that like you and
0: a person are about to run the show? So what are you going to take from rooms you've been in?
5: Um, I think just a very clear. I think there's work to be done for the showrunner before the show begins, and the clearer that. The the showrunners have been about the voice and the specificity of what the show is, so that they know like yes, what you said yes. There's some showrunners that it gets picked up and they don't really know what the show is yet, so everything is blue sky and that's a disaster. So that's when you're there till two a.m. Which I've been on shows that are that. Mm -hmm. The shows that were the most successful and that we were How I Met Your Mother was a comedy and we were done at six. Those guys knew what it was. They knew what they wanted. The best idea wins. And they were, they didn't have ego about it. Same with Rob Thomas. Same with, I mean, you know, like these people want, they want to go home to their families. They like them. And um, (laughs) never work for like a divorced guy without kids, guys. Don't do it. (laughs) Um, So I feel like the more specific they are about what their voice is and what the show is and the clearer they are in the room. Also trickles down if they create a really lovely environment where... Like like he was saying that the staffer anyone can say stuff. What a great environment to be in, where anyone can have an idea and and it wins. There's, I mean, the first room I was in, it was like you're you're a staff writer, don't talk, just observe, and you're like okay, you know. So that sounds amazing. Like creating that, it all trickles down, I okay. think. So that that kind of room.
3: We go home at six o'clock too. So.
5: Nice, nice.
0: Um, Zeb, I wanna, I think it's really interesting that when you got that job on. Chuck clearly they liked what you were doing in the room, um, but what you were doing in the room seems very different
2: to what Gloria yeah. is describing. Yeah, I mean, I, I had a yeah, I was, uh, and I would say that like I don't, I mean, you're right in some senses, but I don't copy your boss. That's just, I mean, I think there are people that I, I don't know. That's not. I think you just should you should try to impart something. I think the hard part is this, is like people don't have sometimes, and this can be not to do with their own kind of uh, self-awareness, but how they are relating to the show or the showrunner, where you're like, okay, I'm getting a sense of what this person wants, the parameters, but within that, he or she wants ideas, and he, may, he, want, he wants to be told, or she wants to be told, I'm wrong sometimes, and somebody has to do that. Um, And I think, you know, I look if the Matt and the and Josh and all those people in the early Chuck room would always I was a staff writer, but I was very but I was, you know, because I was coming from another it wasn't like my first job and I had had some success in this other form of print or writing, whatever. And so I was very vocal and quite opinionated and they made fun of it, but they appreciated it. Mm -hmm. They appreciated it. And uh, I think that's. I mean, I would say, look, I think your job on a, on a in a room is to get the showrunner home earlier than he would have without you um, that said it, you know you, you do have to i've i 've been in tons of rooms where the knock on someone can be just as easily they 're doing nothing they 're not giving enough as they are they 're giving too much you know, and everyone has had that experience where you 're where you're like This person's sitting there and whether because they're afraid or they don't feel comfortable or whatever, they're giving us nothing. And that's really not helpful, you know? I've been in situations where I've been left sort of the run rooms and it's so different. When you're, when you're the person at the board, like, putting up beats versus sitting over there, you're suddenly like, all right, fucking people.
1: Pitch. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: stop. Let's do this. Like, I don't want to be talking all the time. And, you know, you, you know, when you're sitting back and pitching, it's like, all right, I'll think about this for a little while. I'll think about dinner, and then I'll talk about whatever. And when, when you're trying to get the room running... You need people to engage. Um, now, the, the thing is, is it can be really frustrating when someone's engaging and they're, they're not engaging in the right way. And it's like, it's so alchemical and it's nothing you can teach. And every situation is different. Every room chemistry is different. So I don't know if there's like a, you know, a Warner Brothers template for that one. <laughs> no, but it
5: is like, it is still read the room. Like, it is still like, you have to read the room and every room's going to be different and every showrunner and what he need, he or she needs and is going to be it's like doing.
2: going out to dinner with 10 people you don't know and being like all right can we all try to talk about something that's <laughs> like moving in a direction
0: can we order 5 dishes yeah, from yeah. this menu I, I think your
4: you're, I think you're sort of trying to move this ball up a hill or a rock up a hill and you just want people to help you do it mm-hmm. in the conversation and it's great to have like side conversations and all that cuz that's part of getting the conversation generated but you are getting paid to bring ideas, mm-hmm. and, that, and so when people become wallflowers and they say, I'm not speaking, like that's fine when you're the staff writer and you're trying to gauge everybody, but most of the time people want to hear your ideas and they want you to like bring it because that's why we're doing it in a room versus not having a room. You know. Yeah. Um, I think the other thing is when it becomes political, it is when it's hard on a show. And, and everybody has been in rooms where, regardless of what level, whether you're running the room, whether you're low level, mid level, there's politics. Because whenever you put 10 people in a room, shit happens. And so you um, are left. All I can say is when you get your first job, read the room and do not count anybody out. Do not play play. People against people Do not side with Don't get involved in that Literally do the work Be friends with everyone Because it's musical chairs You never know Who's going to have a chair And who's not Like just play The whole Like just be part Of the process And try to Remove yourself From the high school Politics of it Yeah I think And that's I'd great say
2: don't, don't keep score When yes. you're in a room okay. That's the worst And people Look it's really natural And everybody does it To some extent In their own heads But like it's not about how much you're producing or putting, or your pitches are getting up versus everyone else. And if you're playing that game all the time, you're really not. It's bad for you. It's bad for the room. It's bad for everyone. And I think that the, the senior producers and the showrunners and the creators have to create an atmosphere where that's like it's not about that.
4: I was going to add something. John Wells had a quote. He used to say, it's not what you can do for your script. It's what you can do for someone else's. And that was sort of the mantra. Like you have to sort of approach it like we're all just trying to make this better. This keeping score thing sucks. And you know when people are doing that and they remind you, oh, that was theirs. That was theirs. I did it again. You're like, honestly, everybody
5: just wants to get a good script, period. They just want a great script. If anything, I think the opposite can be amazing. Like the people that I remember are the ones that are like, "Oh, Bob said that yeah. thing. That, uh, uh, Bob's people. idea was really good." Like when you're crediting other people and you're the person
2: doing that, that is awesome. I People always love you. Yeah, people about love it. You. I do that all the time, <laughs> I, but I it's not true. <laughs> so awesome. I'm always like, I think it was Jill's idea.
5: Yeah. yeah. yeah.
2: People Happy love Jill.
4: To, everybody wants an Attaboy. Like yes. they totally want
2: it. Yes. I mean,
3: I have the weirdest experience because. You know, honestly, I have no room experience. I came from the feature side, and my first room, I was kind of running it. I mean, I had showrunners in season one, but I was effectively, creatively running the show. And so, you know, I, I just have a weird experience. I come in, and everybody's always on their best behavior. I don't ever really see the <laughs> sort of, you know, if there is backbiting, I don't even know about it. In fact, there was a writer in one of our seasons who, you know, he was awesome to me. Like, every time I'd come in the room, he was awesome. And I would hear from others in the, on the staff terrible things. Like, he was saying really crazy, weird, mean things to people. And so, you know, I, I think that if I had any advice, it would be, in, in that regard, it would be consistency. You know, like, don't bullshit your showrunner because he's going to find out, right? <laughs> like, we find out everything. We hear everything. So, um but yeah, I mean, it's a really difficult. Sometimes it's difficult to be uh, the person in the room that has the least room experience, and I think that's probably why I I run the show in a way where I'm listening to a lot of different voices all the time.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, so, well, a- along those same lines, what are your
0: expectations of your room? I mean, you do take, you know, as you say, you'll take good
3: good I pitches like, from anywhere. Yeah. But what do you expect of the room every day? I mean, I like to come in to the room. I don't get in as much as I'd like. The the show, show running is an impossible job. There are it's five jobs at the same time, right? Once post kicks in and you're, you know, in episode 3 or 4, then you're pulled in so many different directions that you're right. You want what I want all the time is for the room or for Post or whoever to give me something that I like that 's close, you know a bad director 's cut there 's nothing worse than getting a bad director 's cut because you know you know that it 's another week of your life that you 're not going to get to put into another area that needs attention, same thing when drafts come in and they 're not as good as you want them to be, mm-hmm. so you really do just want things to come in at um, a place where you read it and you can say I have this little mantra every time I'm about to read something or every time I'm about to watch something please be good please be good please be good <laughs> I, because if it's good my life is awesome I have a weekend you know I, I'll, I will see my kids I will see my wife and if it's not then I know you know not only am I going to be at the office till 10 or 11 o'clock at night even you know on the weekends but other areas of the show are going to suffer, and so it's kind of like a domino effect of bad things.
0: So, happen. how do so. how do you, as the showrunner, create that target for your writers or for any department?
3: We're doing something this season that's kind of cool. I think it's working so far. It was uh, Javi's idea, Javier uh, grio Marxwatch, who runs the room, um, and I think is in the audience somewhere. And Ooh. that is because, yay! <laughs> <Dang. laughs> Because, uh, by the way, who, who uh, co-hosts the
0: Children of Tendu podcast, which if you guys don't know it, uh, is a, our, it's like our, our Pretty Cousin podcast, um, and you guys should absolutely check it out. It's Javi and uh, Jose Molina talking about their experiences in how, how many years of television? 42 combined, and they're great stories, but also very instructive, so check
3: those out. And I'm giving anyway. you credit for this, hobby. I think it was your idea, but what we do is we... Because I have this thing where, again, it's probably because of my lack of experience in the room. I can't really see a problem necessarily until it's on the page, until it's a script. So I'll, I'll be taken through a break, and that'll sound good. That sounds like a really good break, and then I'll read the script And I'll be like, wait a second, that's not working at all. And they'll say, well, you approve this break, right? So now what we're doing is we're...
0: By the way, let's just pause so you can explain what the break is to listeners.
3: The break is the room will go essentially the episode, scene by scene, act by act. Mm -hmm. And they will pitch it to me, to the showrunner, to try and get it off the board, which means that i've liked the break and i say let's go write that thing right that's essentially we don't have to write outlines this year because the studios uh, and the network have been really supportive and uh that's we great. yes oh, that's, that's very
0: yeah. unCW cw too
3: um yeah i mean they trust what we're doing yeah, they love great. the show and and so we've been given a lot of leeway I, we get almost no notes from them either i mean it's been just creatively, do you
5: just pitch story areas
3: we do a Story Area Plus, which is sort of like a three-page document, and then uh, we go right to script. Wow. and and, awesome. and I now don't even have the staff. The first couple episodes, we wrote outlines internally for me, but now we go right to script. So we go from the break to the script. We gang sort of write wow. the first drafts, and then the writers sort of pull it all together, and, and that way the first document that I get is... Something that the writer, frankly, hasn't sort of killed themselves and mm-hmm. poured their heart into every word, so that if I rip it apart or if I say this isn't working anymore, it's not crushing. Mm-hmm. At least that was the theory, right, Javi? That, yeah, that makes a lot of sense theoretically. But and, and also, and it's, it's worked really of, well. It's worked really yeah. very well for the for the you know episodes. I think five, six, seven eight and now nine that we've done it for so um and because i'm not married to a system i'm open to experimenting all the time to try to see what is the most effective how do we get to the place where the thing that comes to me is uh as far along as possible so that i have to do as little work as possible essentially (laughs) that's that's a really interesting system i'll be curious to see if that plays all the way through but it sounds
0: like you're halfway through already uh yeah we are we're halfway through do you guys have questions we you know we have four terrific writers up here, so ideally these questions would be geared towards anyone answering them. Though I will allow for some hundred questions.
3: The hundred, the one hundred? What's their fucking show? <laughs> <laughs> it's pronounced a hundred. Uh, and for the longest time, I would not write the number on the script pages because I knew that everybody <laughs> was going to call it the one hundred. And I lost that argument. That was one of the creative arguments that I lost, but I was right because now every fucking person <laughs> everywhere you go says the 100, yeah. which isn't <laughs> oh a bad well. title either. So. Uh, yes, ma'am.
5: Um, what is kind of your best advice for that first step as like a PA, like getting that job? Because a lot of you started that way. Yeah,
3: it's a good question. Uh, I think it's. I mean, I, you know, sadly, you, it is social. It is who you know. A lot of times. Um, we, the PAs in our office One of them was a friend Was a friend of a, my lawyers One of them was uh, Someone on the internet Who really sort of caught my eye As an interesting person Who wrote a lot about the show And said a lot of interesting things about the show And ultimately uh, the idea came That maybe we would bring her on board the show And so um, you know, That's a new way I think of getting noticed uh, For sure
4: I also um, think you, you should write the shows, like email them, like he was saying, like write them, write somebody not the executive producer, like the supervising producer or a co-producer, and try to become buddies with them. Say, oh, I love your work. You're so amazing. could I come by for a set visit one day? You'd be surprised what writers will let you do. <laughs> and eventually you'll sort of get in the mix. Pete, you'd be surprised how many people not in the business get in the mix of shows and you're like, <laughs> How do you get on set? I, I know somebody and I got here and so it happens.
3: Well, I think I think as seasons go on, then it because I mean I don't really have a lot of time anymore to to really think about that. But so now it's the people like my assistant has a lot of friends and he puts people up for the job and I basically say do you like him or her and he says yes and there they are you know and then it's on him if they fuck up so <laughs> which they haven't Did you guys want to weigh in
5: Yeah I mean I would I would say you know try to reach out I know that for stuff I've worked on people have definitely said this person's really funny on Twitter you know they have a lot of followers I mean that's a thing even if you don't have a lot of followers but you're really funny and you tweet at people on the show a lot that can be a, that can be a way and you're not creepy about it you know
0: yeah don't be, be creepy Read I think the, the room
5: biggest. even on the, the internet yeah. Hi so a lot of you write characters that represent different sexualities and different uh, ethnicities and I've seen Jason talk about how that's not <clears throat> representation but a part of the character. What do the other writers think as well?
0: Let's let's get into this. Uh, we talked about this a little bit, Gloria, yeah. um, and you you mentioned, you know, in the green room some of this stuff. I it's think, worth mentioning again. Yeah,
5: I think that for I think it's different for every. That question is going to be different for everyone because it's so personal. Mm-hmm. So I you know I definitely feel like I can write anything that I can experience is the stuff that I'm the best at writing. <laughs> So if I've been in love, then I can write a How I Met Your Mother episode about falling in love with someone. And it for that story, ethnicity is not a part of that story. But maybe there is a character that I have a pers- personal connection to uh, because they're Latina and I might have a specific thing. But I've also written... I wrote a whole monologue uh, about being Cuban <laughs> and uh, I couldn't find a Cuban actress to play it. And I had a Chinese actress come in, Chinese American actress, who was like, you know, I read this and like, if I just... Swap out Cuban for Chinese. It's totally my story. And she had a really personal connection with, like, an immigrant experience but through Chinese eyes. And I thought, well, that's really interesting, like, that I can write that too. And I certainly think that, like, white guys can write Latino characters, of course. But that's not to say that there shouldn't be some representation. I mean, I believe in a diverse room because I think it's just more interesting than just a bunch of people that know exactly the stuff that you know. It's better. Are you gonna Sorry. die? I just want to take a minute. <laughs> but could you imagine if I just kept going? and He's like dying.
4: <laughs>
0: Are you, can someone get Zeb some tea or something? <laughs> or a, uh, some sort of cough drop? Yes.
4: I, I I sort of think. I mean, we're all the same, and and that's sort of what. Now is talking about like just where we are now, and it's like we're all sort of the same. We are all, like you said, oh Latino people eat with a fork and a knife. So do black people. <laughs> 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 We do the same thing, like, and and I think now that television is becoming much more integrated, um, you, and whether that is with race, whether that's with sexuality, people are just looking at it like our generation is saying this is the norm. Like, people, uh, we don't care, you know what I'm saying? And so we're we're putting that on the screen, and I think you're seeing a lot of exciting things happen. Whether that is, you know dealing with transgendered, whether that's dealing with, you know, gay, whatever it is, black, Latino, whatever. I think it's changed from where it was ten years ago, where it was five years ago, and it's continuously changing, because Kids don't care. They they don't care, and they're reminding the generations that are sort of dying off in the business. We don't care. Yeah. You know,
0: it's almost an antiquated idea.
4: It, it is, but we've got to get it more. It has to get better. It's not yeah. where it needs to be, but it has to get to a point where um, all of the stories can be told. I remember, you know, coming off ER five years ago and pitching a show, and I could not. It, it was hard. People, people, very important in my life, said to me, "You cannot pitch a black lead. Like you just cannot. It really? will not sell. It will not do well. You cannot for a drama. It it has failed over and over. You cannot do it. I mean, in in five years, I mean, look what we have. We have scandal. We have How to Get Away with Murder. We have Empire. We have like the minorities are shutting it down. Like you know what I mean? Like we have all of these things that are changing." The world, And you're seeing the scandal... Not scandal cast. You're seeing the empire cast go to Monaco. And people are like, oh, my God. So then it's breaking the norms of saying, oh, black or Latino or Asian people cannot do well overseas. It's just changing. And and we're just catching up Hollywood to it's not just a white guy's game.
0: Is there an expectation of the material you'll pitch as a black writer?
4: I don't... I mean, like, I, I have literally been in rooms where... I, I thought this was the norm. With Wells, it was always integrated. When I was on Third Watch, John Ridley was on the show. Hori Zamakona was on the show. It was always integrated. I just sort of thought that's how rooms were. I didn't realize that there were rooms where it was just all like white guys. Like I, I just didn't even know that that existed. I was working for the most powerful white guy who had integrated rooms. I just thought we all kind of got along. And so then I would go to panels, and I'd see people... Um, Talk about how oh it's not integrated. So for me in the room at ER, I just pitched stories that I wanted to tell. Sometimes I want to tell a story about a black woman from Katrina who's you know left with nothing who has cancer. Sometimes I want to tell a story about an Irish cop you know who was who just got shot or shot his partner. You know so I I just said I want to tell stories. I've been living in the world. It's like asking Shakespeare. Like Shakespeare wrote about. The rich, he was poor. It's like, Mm -hmm. we've been living in the world, looking at people all our lives. We've dated all different races. Like, we can write anything. So I think you're just seeing a generation of people going, we can write anything. So when people in the room turn to me and say, what would a black person do? I'm like, I know 100 black people. I don't know what your fucking black person would do. (laughs) I'm not going to speak for all of black people. Like, I'm just not, because I'm not going to turn to you and go, what would a white guy do? Like, Mm -hmm. I'm writing about human beings. And I'm going to go, what would a human being do?
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Or this character. Or this character, yeah.
4: yeah. Uh, Thank you guys for coming. I really appreciate it. It was really, really enlightening. Um, But I have a a similar sort of question about um, sort of getting noticed. I know that you um, put up your own show, and I was kind of interested. A lot of people these days are making their own stuff and putting it out there. We have YouTube. We have um, like different networks and stuff to put your own stuff out there. So I'm just sort of wondering... Um, how, If you did something similar to that um, How you went about it and, and what were
5: the hardest parts for you Well doing the play I had never put up a play before So I didn't know what I was doing at all. And you just teach yourself. It's awesome. It's the best thing ever to put up a show because you don't know anything and you're like, I'm going to fail big. (laughs) Uh, You know, like I took unemployment checks. That's what I was using, like in between gigs to put up this play while I was in between like jobs and would save that. And uh, yeah, you just figure it out. I mean, the, the part that's so interesting about everyone's like origin story is that there's no origin story that's the same. Everyone has some different thing because part of this journey is that you figure something out. So, what's your thing going to be? And, like, I think if you kind of look at what do I do, what do I think I do the best? What's the medium that sort of is the most, you know, like for me, it was always sort of studio audience kind of stuff, theater kind of stuff. That's always been where I was better. Like, two people, black box on a stage, I feel like I can crush that. So that's what I knew would be the best representation for people to come and see the work. So that was, for me, what was the best. However, if I was much more visual, I would absolutely shoot stuff and try to do that and show what I could do. Because if it's good, people will yeah. people will tell people, and people people want to and be people helpful. people are watching. People yeah. People are watching.
2: Yeah, I would also say that, like, you know, I think it's – if you do good stuff, people want <laughs> – this idea that like there's a barrier like people are desperate for people that are talented and if you find the thing that like most expresses your voice whether you know it's theater or it's uh, shooting something or it's writing something then do that I mean I think you will find very little barrier to entry Uh, once you're doing something really good people are really excited for that and want it it's not like there's a a world of uh, super talented people that aren't getting work I think
3: yeah, I mean, I, the one thing I would say, though, is if you want to be doing what we're doing, you know, if you want to be in rooms or if you want to be on television staffs, you should just keep writing. I mean, I don't care whether someone was a PA, whether, I don't care whether they made a cool YouTube video, if I read a script, or if a script, I should say, gets read by the people who I trust that are reading the scripts before they give them to me to say, <laughs> this is the group of scripts that you should read, then... You know, and it's great. That's all I'm looking for. You know, that's really the... Just keep writing. Just keep writing, and eventually the cream will rise, you know?
5: Adding to that, like, I also did not go to... I didn't have a screenwriting program or a TV writing program to be a part of, so I went to the Paley Center, and I would just sit there for hours, Mm -hmm. and I would write, like, okay... Three uh, three minutes in, act break. 15 minutes in, act break. I mean, I would just, like, sort of teach myself based on all the best old stuff. And what's great is you should know that stuff anyway. It's only good in a room to be like, oh, no, they did that on Cheers. Yeah, (laughs) I know. Uh, you know, whatever, and then and then you pitch the other idea because you're never you're never supposed to do that. That's a staff writer thing. Never say. Always oh, offer solutions. Always oh, offer solutions. Uh, but it's so great. It's so great to do that. So it's free. It's free, or maybe it's a couple bucks yeah. or something. But it's such a great resource. And also, everything
0: is around now. Like when we on were starting Internet. out, we had to go to the Paley Center, but now it's like it's all on Hulu. I, I watched a bunch of Mary Tyler Moore's the other day and learned so much.
5: So a huge part of the job of being a TV writer is knowing people and having them like you. Uh, so what are some of the biggest mistakes that you guys have made in this sort of networking arena Or like things that you might have said to people that you realize later were st- uh, in poor in Telling
3: positions. a story on this stage about like one of the biggest movie stars in the world probably My a feature career is fucking dead right now
0: We can bleep the name I mean we won't no, but Don't We can <laughs> This is a great question I mean, these are all learning yeah. opportunities, it's right? Nice. When you, especially when you start out.
5: It's all good. It's all. I, I feel like maybe at the beginning, I think I was so overzealous. Like I think the first room I was in, somebody asked me, I, "I did, yeah." Like one of the first comedy meetings I had with like an executive, they were like, "Are you a story person or a joke person?" I was like, "Both." You know, like, just because you don't know. You don't even know what to say. You've never been in a room to know what your thing is, and you're just excited about every. I think oh, I was what like... Whatever's going to pay my rent. Yeah, it's like, that, yes, I can do that, that, or that, or that, you know.
2: That's a retarded question to ask someone. It's like, <laughs> I don't know, thank what you. are you doing?
5: Thank you, thank <laughs> you, um, No, I think, like, I think that, uh, for me, I think I had m- more success the more specific I got about what I thought I did well. Like, in the beginning, when it was like, I can do anything... Like, there's so few people that I think can do anything that it's okay to say, like, this is what I do, what I feel like I really do good right now. This is sort of, you know, I hate using, like, brand, but, like, this is kind of what I can do right now and what's really good, and hopefully that will grow and expand with time. But if I can at least say, if you need this, I'm your gal, and feel so confident about what that thing is, that. That seems like a good, I don't know, yeah. guys. What what were,
0: uh, you know, I'll broaden this question out a little bit, but what, what were mistakes you made early on that you did learn from? Whether it was in scripting, in the room, whatever, in pitching?
2: I mean, I when I, when I first started working on shows, it was a lot of the idea that I'm not, it's not the show that I think, like if this is the version of the show I think it should be versus the version of the show that, it is and we're all sort of working toward i think that was a big mistake i'd made and um and i and also i think you know listen i i just worked um i just worked on this amazon show with Sean Ryan and you know he's done a million and one things and he did this thing he wrote a script and he we i'd never done this on any show before but you sat with the it was a small room but you sat with six people and gave notes on everybody's script and i was like is Sean going to do this? Is he going to sit down and we're going to do this with him? And then secondly, I was like, are we really supposed to give notes? Like, what's the deal here? Is it like the, there's a comma missing on page four. And he went through and he was like, no, I want real notes. And that room really gave him a, a, a serious set of notes, you know? And he took it all with... With grace and with interest, and this was his show. He didn't have to sit through this. The guy's incredibly accomplished guy, and he really took it all. And I sat there and I was like, you know, God, I wish I could take notes that way. That is a lesson in how to do something. Like he was not—he was not about his ego. He was just about making the scripts better. And um, and I think if you can kind of generate that in yourself. When you're first starting out and listen at any time, it's really helpful, you know, because there are people that are going to try to help you and don't get in the way of them helping you, you know, by being kind of defensive or, or whatever else. And it's hard to do.
4: Yeah, I, I would add to that. I would just say um, kind of assess yourself. Like, I mean, and that, that's the hardest part is like sort of go like, OK, so this month is over. Like, what did I do well? What What didn't I do well or what can I work on? Better the next month. Um, I also think if you get allies or somebody that's more senior to you on a show, you can say like, "Is there something that you think I should work on, like to be better?" Mm-hmm. And and a lot of times, people that are senior will say you need to pitch more ideas. You need to be clear with your ideas, or you tend to overwrite your scenes are too long, and and you will start to hear things about your writing or about your act out didn't pop. And you'll go, okay, so next time when I'm writing a script, I'm making sure my act-outs pop, or I'm making sure it's not overridden. I'm going through and I'm getting rid of the danglers. Like, I'm doing things because I'm learning from the past episodes. So I, I think you sort of have to ask for criticism and, and assess
5: your own work.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's good advice. Um, are there any other questions? Thank you, that was a good question. Uh, any I others? I have,
5: a, like, a thought off of that that I'd like to address. <laughs> <laughs> Um, a lot of times people will ask like what, um, they'll ask me to read stuff and I'm a dick, so I don't read anybody's stuff (laughs) unless you're the PA on our show. That's been like kicking ass all year. And at the end of the year, you're like, glory, will you read my script? Then I will absolutely read your script. What my pet peeve is, is like people expect like what we do all day as our job is reading scripts. (laughs) And and it takes me actually a really long time because I like to be thoughtful and I like to sit down. And so when I'm not at work doing that, I have two kids and a husband that I like. (laughs) And so I would say the one thing, but I get the predicament. Everyone needs their stuff read, right? So I think it's also being very strategic in who you go to to read your scripts. Maybe start with a writer's group or something like that. Make sure that it's good from a bunch of other people before you try to get it into the hands of a writer. And then if you are going to go to a writer, go to somebody during hiatus or go to somebody who you have some sort of personal connection with or that you have you know, tried to be helpful in, in you know, there's a lot of volunteer opportunities or PA opportunities or things that ways that you can get in and try to do that first because if somebody works hard for you, you'll take notice even if you're really busy. So that's That's the biggest mistake is a lot of write, a lot of people that wanna write
4: that are on shows and they're getting your coffee and you do bond with that person, they say, Can you read my script? And then you're like, Uh okay. And so you eventually read it. And what you realize when you sit down and talk to them is that you're the first person who read it. Mm-hmm. And that right there shows you have no game. <laughs> like, yeah. Right? Yeah. You shouldn't be like, I, you, that should be the 10th draft that you're giving to the person that's on the show. Because that, person's making a, that person might have a show next year. That person might have to hire the staff writer. That person's making a lot of decisions. So if you have, if you have access to people that are working, Make it the 10th or 15th draft
5: of it. Make it sing. I mean, not. Because, yeah, yeah, no, because, like, let's say she's nice and she reads it and it's okay. Are they going to read the second? They have another thing. You going to read the second one? No. No. Because no. 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 <laughs> <laughs> you can't even, like, go and to Everything you're going to say go about that writer was, I read the, it was okay. Right. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah.
0: All right, we'll wrap up, as we always do, by asking you guys what you are watching on television these days. What are you excited or enthusiastic about? What are you talking about with your room, your family? I will also ask you, because this will be out probably in about a month, so we'll be kind of into the new fall season. Is there stuff you have read or seen pilots of or are just excited about? Jason, we'll start with you.
3: (sighs) You know what? It is... I'm gonna complain again about the, do, the amount of time I honestly haven't watched anything I've watched almost nothing If I, I find that I come home and, and I sit down at my office desk And I do more work when I get home If I'm watching TV it's. You know, I checked out Fear the Walking Dead Because I was curious And one of an actresses in our show is in that show and uh, Who I love and I, and I wanted to see that I liked it It wasn't as good as The Walking Dead I have to say But it was good But um, but I, you know, I, I haven't caught up I haven't caught up on anything I was at a party a couple weeks ago A couple months ago actually now And someone was talking about ISIS This is going to be a terrible story <laughs> And I didn't know what ISIS was Like I was, I was kind of I, this, was, this was a while ago this is, I, Listen, I said it was a terrible story It doesn't speak It does not speak well of me I realized that and I'm a very political person prior to having the show So the show's all consuming Sure. And that's, you know, How, episode fucking Three was great Of the show <laughs> Which I'm working on a cut of now <laughs> That's what you've watched most recently How old are your children? Um, I have a seven-year-old and a 15-year-old What are they watching? Um, Ben, my 15-year-old Does not watch my show <laughs> um, It's uh, very violent, I'm glad you No, know, he doesn't wa- he watches it He doesn't watch it, I think, because it Kind of took me away um but uh oh yeah it's true um he watches youtube he watches he doesn't really watch shows he watches you know the family guy is always on when i go into his room so he watches the family guy but he's like got five different devices right. happening while he's watching it and my little one watches um spongebob constantly now so
0: <laughs> good answers janine um, you're so <laughs> you don't want to answer this question
4: oh new stuff okay
0: Anything, whatever you're into these days.
4: I just started watching Narcos. I love it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Narcos, Kimmy Schmidt, love it. Um, Empire, was excited to watch it. I came back, very excited. Um, loved Blind Spot. I thought that was really good. And I just saw Supergirl, which I liked a lot. Really liked a lot. It was great. Um, I, I mean, I love all the stuff on Netflix. I'm, I'm watching, like, I, I can re watch Oranges is the New Black over and over again, you know. Mm. So, I'm watching what everyone's watching.
2: All good answers. Yeah. Thank you. Zeb? Uh, God, I don't really... I watch the so little TV, but the show that I'm really obsessed by is Broad City on Comedy Central. <laughs> awesome. I think that show is deeply, deeply awesome, and those girls are deeply, deeply awesome, and it's, it makes me so homesick for New York City, I can't even tell you. Uh, but it's the, it's the one show I, like, I just need that show. I think it's incredible. Gloria.
5: Uh what am I watching? Um I saw God, I want to say it's called Catastrophe.
2: Yes, it is called okay, Catastrophe. Okay, it
5: is. It is. So good. I loved it. Yeah. British. It's on Amazon. And, yeah, it's on Amazon. It's so good.
0: It's uh, um, just for those are you guys familiar with the show? Yeah.
5: But um, like dark. For those
0: of you who don't know, it's Rob Delaney and Sharon Horgan. Yeah, you get it right are right. Go Rob on. Delaney, you know, from Go Twitter. Get it. Uh and Sharon, you know I think she was on coupling. Um, They created the show and they star in the show. And it's about an American guy who knocks up an Irish woman uh, in England. And then he decides to make a go of it. Or they both decide to make a go of it. I loved it. It's so funny. I
5: loved it. Uh, I watched Narcos as well and loved it. Anything on Netflix I love. Uh, I watched Carmichael's show. I thought that was... I think it's awesome. I think it's like bringing back old school. Like speaking to the Three Jokes a Page thing. Which Hmm. comedy I don't like either. Because I grew up on like you know, like, family ties and stuff that had, like, heart and humor. Um, And uh, it's just a throwback to that. It's, like, people, it's just a family having a conversation about stuff, and I think it's really solid. Please give a
0: round of applause to all of our (laughs) panelists. Thanks to everyone here at Meltdown Comics. Uh, Thanks to 826LA, and thank you guys for coming. We really appreciate it.
1: Now leaving Nerdist.com